This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Chuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Andrew Gurney. Andrew is the founder of Hardware Box, an e-commerce business that offers a wide selection of architectural quality door hardware. Andrew recently exited this business via sale. In this episode, Andrew shares the reason behind the decision to sell his business, the factors that led to choosing Lloyd's Corporate Brokers as Hardware Box's M&A consultant, and the role Lloyd's played in facilitating the sale. You'll learn the process of exiting a company through a sale, the steps you need to take when you're selling your business, and Andrew shares his insight to business owners wanting to go through a sale process. Let's jump in. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me on The Bottom Line today. Thanks for having me here. Now, for those that don't know you, please tell us a little about yourself and your background. Yeah, for sure. So I basically started in the corporate world. So commerce at uni, straight into sort of a grad position at at an FMCG company, which was now 15, 20 years ago, and was in the corporate world for about 10 years before I left to start a business. Well, actually, I was running a business on the side of of that job, but uh, yeah, I was working in fairly, you know, I don't want to say bland, but for fairly run-of-the-mill corporate positions, so mid-level management, doing a lot of that sort of stuff in oil and gas, and uh, eventually moved into business. Awesome. Now, you established a couple of businesses in that short career of yours. Today, we want to talk about your business, Hardware Box, and a business you founded, grew, and ultimately sold. So talk us through Hardware Box. What made you start it up and just give us a bit of a a plug? You don't own it now, but, uh, you know, we like a plug. But tell us your Hardware Box story and how that came about. Yeah, for sure. So um, in my 20s, I bought a house basically. Um, So it was a, I think the sign was detonate or renovate. And I perhaps didn't quite know what I was getting myself in for. So this was in the inner west of, of Melbourne. And I basically got my hands dirty as soon as I finished work each day. 4, 4.30, basically get on the tools of the house and sand the floors and patch plaster and all do all those sorts of things. It was going to take me six months. I think it took me four years in the end. Oh, wow. But certainly one fantastic thing which came out of that was learning about building products. So I was obviously buying floorboards and tiles and paint and tapware and door hardware. And certainly one thing that jumped out at me through that was just how limited the range was in certain categories. One of those was door hardware. So I did a bit of research, you know, like most people essentially just Googled it and found some suppliers overseas in China. And before long, I was basically importing door hardware, selling on eBay and and my own website at the time. That was about seven years ago. And really just trial and error with uh, products. Tried a few different styles and finishes and things like that and a few different sales channels and started to grow from there. So it wasn't something I was looking to build into a big business at the time. I was wanted to start a business and be in business probably from late high school. But, you know, I think there are people who are comfortable leaving school, starting a business out of their garage, taking huge risks. I don't think I was one of those people. 
part of me was like, yeah, I really want to do business, but maybe I'll get the degree first. I'll get the, the experience in the corporate world, something to fall back on. So I did, um, you know, started it probably a bit later than I would have liked. And that's probably one of my, my regrets in this business. So did you start Hardware Box what, as a little side geek? Did you have it? Were you still having your day job when you first founded it? Yeah, exactly. So it was a couple of years before I left my day job. So I was, you know, in the early days, it was pretty tricky. I basically found an Australia Post that was open at 7 a.m. So I was running, I was driving down to Australia Post a couple of k's from my house, taking the orders from, you know, the previous day down there, lodging them in Australia Post, driving home, getting changed for work and, and catching the train to the city. You know, eventually the Australia Post told me, they go, Andrew, you're pretty much our only customer before eight. <laughs> so we're going to have to change our opening times to eight because it's just not worth it for us. So at that point I thought, okay, I'm going to have to come up with a bit of a uh, logistics plan here. So that's when I moved the picking and packing to a 3PL. So it's so a warehouse basically yep. that, that I've been dealing with with my freight forwarding. But basically I was doing things on the side of my corporate job. Generally, I was able to avoid doing too many emails, you know, while I was at work, but certainly uh, during my lunch break and various breaks. And then at night, I was getting home and then, you know, this was before kids. So it was possible to do a bit of work after my day job, which is obviously a bit harder when you have kids. And then eventually, uh, certainly outsourcing the logistics to this warehouse meant that at least I didn't have to worry about orders and receipting containers and things like that. Back then it was pallets, not containers, but it became containers as the business grew, of course. So look, it was tricky um, doing it on the side of my day job, but it meant that I wasn't going all in from day one. There was a bit of risk management. If it all completely fell over, then it wasn't the end of the world. And I was able to enjoy it because of that to some extent where it wasn't our mortgage on, on the line. But eventually it did get to the point where I needed to spend more time on it. You know, do I continue this? Do I you know, look to wind it down or do I really want to go all in and grow it? And that's when I made the call to leave my corporate job probably six years ago now and pretty much go all into it. It was all in e-commerce, wasn't it? You didn't end up have a bricks and mortar store at all? No, exactly. It was pure play e-commerce. So no bricks and mortar store, no showroom. Essentially orders at that stage were almost all coming through the website. So I was selling on eBay and some other marketplaces at the time, but pretty much 99% through the website. The orders would go direct to the warehouse. The warehouse would, of course, pack them. My background in the corporate world was logistics. So I did set up, I basically had to train the warehouse. It wasn't something that they'd done a lot of. There weren't a lot of e-commerce specialist 3PLs back then anyway, but they certainly hadn't picked orders for an e-commerce business. So I went out to the warehouse and trained them and got them used to the systems. In many ways, they were almost my warehouse in the sense that they were logging into my systems, looking for orders, updating tracking numbers when they dispatched, So, which was good. So I got the advantage of a 3PL in terms of the, the pricing flexibility, but also the advantage of they would do it essentially my way. And that helped a lot. Awesome. Now, today's topic is about exiting a business via sale. Did you always have exit as part of your business plan? I did at some point. I definitely didn't day one, but it got to the point where it started to become a proper business. You know, it was, it was paying the bills and it was replacing my day job where I thought, well, where do I want this business to go? Certainly wasn't the sort of business that I was going to pass down to my kids in 20 or 30 years. And my kids are quite young, so I would have been managing the business for another 20 years. So certainly exiting was something I'd strongly considered. Always thought, look, I'll, I'll wait till it gets to X point before I start to think about that further. And then you get there in terms of revenue and then you think, oh, I'll just kick the can down the road a little bit because I was enjoying it. It was still, still growing really fast. So it was something in the back of my mind pretty much the whole time. But I hadn't sat down early on and said, 
when I get to this point in terms of revenue or years, then I'll take it to the market. In many ways, it happened quite naturally over the years once some other priorities came up, which I'm sure we'll talk about, which uh, led to me to you know, making the call that now I need to start thinking about selling. It is a tough decision and you sort of elaborated a little bit about that. But what was it for you that made you decide to sell at that time? Okay, so when I left the corporate world, I actually started another business at the same time. So with someone I used to work with in my corporate jobs, we basically, in the last six months of working there, we talked about some business opportunities that related to the stuff that we were doing at work at the time. So I actually left the corporate world to start that business and go into Hardware Box or spend more time in Hardware Box. And then a couple of years later, I was finding that both businesses were doing well, which is good and it's, it's a great problem to have. But the problem is that I was not having enough time in the week to basically go all in on both businesses. So I had to make the call on which one do I want to focus on moving forward. By then, uh, we'd had our first child. So I had a two-year-old at home and I was getting you know three hours sleep at night. So the idea of doing 70-hour weeks wasn't realistic. So Hardware Box was a bit more mature at that point, had some really good numbers. So that was the one that made sense to try and exit as well as, you know, realistically I'd been running it for seven years and I feel it was just time to pass over to someone else. There were a lot of good growth opportunities for the business, but I wasn't particularly excited about undertaking those. I was somewhat burnt out with the business a little bit. I thought, you know, it'd be great for someone else to come in here who's fresher and and energetic and, and really take this to the next level, whether it be expanding internationally or into new product ranges. So to some extent, I just felt the time was right for that business, whereas my, my other business, which I was involved with, was perhaps a bit earlier in the cycle. And still, those first few years when you're really excited and you're really passionate about expanding and, and creating new products and services. So, so it made sense to exit from this one. And realistically, the idea of taking some, you know, some money off the table is a big part of it. People think if you run a business that makes you know, millions of dollars or $10 million or $20 million a year that you actually have a lot of money, reality of business is you don't necessarily have a lot while you're running the business due to inventory costs and cash flow and things like that. So I'd definitely be lying if I didn't say money was a factor in terms of being able to take some money off the table, some risk off the table. By then we had our second child, so we had mortgage, two kids, and certainly having a bit of money to reduce the stresses was, you know, was a big part of it. Awesome. It sounds like a, um, a really talented athlete that has to choose between cricket or AFL and ultimately focus on one thing. So when you kind of were telling that story, I could just hear what some of the really talented um, AFL players have to go through when they need to decide which way to go. But obviously you then made the decision. You engage with Lloyd's Corporate Brokers as your M&A consultant. What process did you take for choosing the right broker to sell your business and then ultimately Lloyd's. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I had no idea how to sell a business. I assumed brokers were a thing. I think I'd heard about business brokers before and, and read about businesses being sold. I like to, to read some of the business uh, publications. So I was generally aware of the process, but basically I just Googled it. So it was actually probably something about eight months before the business went to market. I started to think about, I'll do some research on what I actually need to do to sell this business. So I started to do some research then create a bit of a list of brokers and say M&A lawyers and things like that that I would need. Lloyd's one of those. So from doing a bit of research with Lloyd's and jumping on their website before I even reached out to them, I looked at some of the business they'd sold recently, found that they had experience within e-commerce, within digital businesses. It wasn't just you know, manufacturing plant or, or more traditional old school businesses. So from that point, I knew that they understood or they were likely understood the sort of business that I was 
basically in. So when the time came to sell about six months later, I reached out to Lloyd's and a number of other brokers, had some informal chats back and forth, shared some numbers, shared a bit of an idea what the business was about and made sure I asked them some important questions to see, did they understand this business? Did they understand the industry and the market? You know, I was really impressed with their answers and I'm certainly more so than some of the other businesses I spoke to. They seemed to definitely understand the industry and the market and the opportunities for potentially a new owner. I thought that was really important because ultimately they were going to be the first point of contact for any inquiries. So if they understood the industry and the business and could really sell that initially to potential acquirers, then that would take a lot of the stress off me when I eventually would get involved in the process and have those calls. So for me, it was really clear that Lloyd's were the best option. There were a number of other good options as well, but Lloyd's definitely stood out, particularly in this segment of the market. In terms of your revenue as well, you might have brokers that are really focused on selling your local pizza shop or cafe, which just wouldn't have been suitable for this sort of business. Take us briefly through the sale process that Lloyd's deployed to get you the best possible price. Yeah, for sure. So a big part of the process hinged on the information memorandum, which Lloyd's put together. So that's really a document where you answer a whole lot of questions about your business from what's involved day-to-day in terms of your own involvement through to risks, opportunities, growth, numbers, all those sorts of things. So that's really the documents that most potential acquirers will review and see first and likely make a call on whether they want to have that initial discussion with you after reading that document. So look, we spent probably the first six weeks working on that document back and forth between myself and Lloyd's, making sure that we put our best possible foot forward in terms of the numbers, the opportunity, the risks, things like that. And then from there, they basically have a huge contact database of private equity, family offices, high net worth, you know, as well as techniques for approaching strategic inquiries within the industries. So tell me, how many people ended up inquiring? Was there, do you know the numbers with the stats? When the IM first went out, do you know how many sort of inquired? Yeah, testing my memory here, but I think it was about 50 or 60. Wow. Inquired. So that's downloading the IM information memorandum and reaching out and just asking some basic questions, which is, I mean, I was really impressed with. I wasn't sure how much interest there'd be. You don't really know. There's never obvious direct comparisons out there that you can say this will happen or that will happen. Timing's a lot of it as well. So I was really impressed that so many reached out and quite surprised. And did it come down to four or five players that sort of really made a strong bid or or was it sort of just take us through that from 50 to 60 down to potentially some of the really strong interested parties? You know, I mean, you don't have to share names or confidential information, but take us through that journey and then a little bit about how you were feeling during the process. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was feeling stressed, to be honest, probably the entire four or five months. And look, and certainly Lloyds and some other people that were involved in the process made the process a lot better. But it's anyone that tells you that selling a business is easy or it's smooth is probably not being honest. It was a very stressful process. But in terms of what actually how the process played out is generally there were a few, so a number of those 50 or 60 would ask questions back and forth and then determine if they wanted to have a call or a meeting to discuss the business further. So that's face-to-face or Zoom with myself and Lloyd's in that call. So I probably had calls or face-to-face meeting with about 10 parties through that process. 
And that was more of a deep dive into the business, into my involvement, why I want to sell, all the obvious questions the yeah. potential acquirer would, would want to ask. And then there was um, three offers on the table in the end. It was, I was surprised how quickly the process went. I think from when the information memorandum went out to the offers was probably only about three or four weeks, which was a lot quicker than what I was expecting. I think even quicker than what Lloyds were expecting, but there were a couple of pretty keen parties, which is obviously a great problem to have. It is a great problem, but the one you want, you don't want it to be a, a slow process. That would have been really exciting. Did you have any doubts at all? You're like, oh, no, now offers have come. Did you have any, rem- not buyer's remorse, but seller's remorse at all during the process? Probably not because the process was all so busy. I mean, when you're going through this process, you're having calls, you're answering emails about the business, but you're also running the business day to day. And you're actually probably spending a little bit more time in the business because that's not the point. You want to take your foot off the pedal, obviously. So I was so busy and so involved in the process that I didn't have a chance to properly think about whether I was happy with the direction I was going. You know, I think I was in retrospect and it was definitely, you know, very exciting. But you don't really get that time to think about it at that point, probably until later on when you go through due diligence. That's probably the time where those sorts of questions come up. And that's exactly my next question. So due diligence is, for those that don't know, I might, as the accountant, explain what that might be. And then, and Andrew, you can sort of run through your process of due diligence. Due diligence is generally when an interested party will go down deep into a business post making an offer and just make sure that the numbers that they've seen, the revenue is what it is, the products are real and they visit you and visit the 3PL. So they normally make a non-binding offer. Is that kind of what happened with you, Andrew? Non-binding offer and then DD? Yeah, exactly. So it was a non-binding offer on key conditions around revenue and things like that. Basically, they want to verify X, Y and Z and that's part of the non-binding offer. The reality is how it works with a sale is that the power then pretty much all goes to the buyer. So, right, it's basically a non-binding offer. So they they put various things in the offer that they want to see and verify during due diligence. But the power very much moves to the buy in that scenario where it's exclusive, so you can't then be talking to other people who may be interested to that point, but they can walk away at any time. The analogy is it's like a, a fish on the hook, but you still got to reel them in and they can really just get out from there afterwards. So exactly. how was the due diligence process for you? Were you... Did that process go really smoothly? Was there any hiccups along that journey at all for you? It didn't feel like it went smoothly. It did. I mean, my M&A lawyer and Lloyd's pretty much their feedback was the process was one of the more smoother ones they'd been through. But when you're on the receiving end of due diligence and you're being asked for these documents and numbers and you're having must have been 10 or 20 calls with their accountants back and forth, you know, you very much feel under the spotlight. Yeah, it's a very stressful process. And I think if anyone's going through that, it's definitely worth talking to someone that's been through it before, whether that's Lloyds and those sort of people, but also people that have sold their businesses because you don't really know what to expect. And so I think it's really important. So if you are going through the process of selling your business, due diligence is one of those things where even if you know people in business, whether that be friends and family, odds are they won't have been through that either. So it's really worth, worth connecting with someone that's been through that process to understand what it's like because you do feel a little bit lost at times. Lloyd's were, were a really big help through that to say due diligence stage one has gone really well. You'll find they'll now start to ask about tax or legal or so on and so forth. So they guided the process really well on that. But look, it's really stressful, even when it goes smoothly, which it did in our case. And 
So they didn't find too many skeletons, maybe a few small things, but nothing major. They're overly quite happy, but it's still pretty intense. It's yeah. six, eight weeks, I think, from memory. A lot of back and forth, a lot of discussing your numbers. And I think you also don't know what they're thinking at the time. So they'll ask a question or they'll ask for more detail on a number and you try to think, well, why are they asking? Why, yeah. Have they seen something or are they worried about something? Yeah, the reality is it's, it's almost certainly not the case. But you have that anxiety, right? So, and, and, it's, and being a solo owner, you didn't have business partners in, in this business. So yeah. it's all on you. And, and obviously, lawyers obviously did a great job in helping you through that process. What advice do you have for young founders that want to sell their business? Look, I think something I regret not doing is, is building a bit of a network around businesses that were similar to mine. I suppose once the business got to a point where I would have liked to have done, done that, so I was at the scale where it made sense. Obviously, COVID hit, so a lot of the networking events kind of dropped off and, you know, that was a bit unfortunate. But I think if I had have built up a bit of a network and I'm certainly encouraging people that are thinking about exiting in a number of years to start to talk to other business owners within the industry or that have businesses of a similar size. Yeah, you can sort of share those stories amongst colleagues and, and so on. So it really does, it does help. You kind of answered my next question because I was going to say, if you had your time again, what would you do differently? But I might narrow that down more towards the exit part of it. If you had your time again, what would you do differently at the pointy end? Look, I think definitely early stage I would have started to think about what the exit process actually meant. So actually start to pull together processes, documents, double check the insurances in place, all that really important stuff. If you have all that all set up before you even go to market, it's just a little bit less stress when you eventually have to provide it during due diligence or at handover. You've already got a million things you're doing at that time, a million things you're thinking about. So that's definitely one thing. And you can't really start to work on those things too early. I mean, checking your insurance is 100%. You've got all, all the right cover and all the right paperwork and you've got processes for your, the things that you do, not just the employee. I mean, I only had one employee, so it was relatively easy. But, of course, developing processes and procedures for yourself, there's no reason why you can't do that early when you've got the time and you can think clearly. And so it's definitely one thing I would have done differently. I think also just probably enjoy the process a bit more. And my lawyer said that as well. He goes, look, you'll look back and you'll you actually have enjoyed this process more than you realize right now. So take the time, reflect on each day, even if it's talking to your partner or your friends. So really enjoy it because you may own the exit one or two businesses your entire life, maybe more if you're lucky, but uh, enjoy it. And yeah. Awesome. Now, two more questions, Andrew. One is, would you recommend Lloyd's Business Brokers to colleagues? And if so, why? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were fantastic from day one. They basically were able to provide a good overview of the entire process, not just, you know, what the next steps were a week or two later, but what it's going to look like in two weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, even come up with a bit of a plan. So if we don't get enough traction, here's what we can do. So really that longer term overview of how the process was all going to play out, but also not just the selling process, but what happens after you sell, you know, in terms of how much Generally, you'd be expected to be involved. Start to think about that now. These are conversations you might be having with the buyers early on. So think about that post-exit process and what it looks like for you so you can go in ready. I think the other part was they've got such a good team with a variety of experience. So they've sold, obviously, lots of different businesses, different parts of the market. They've got specialists in, in certain industries and certain size businesses. 
they generally have a lead who you work with day to day. But if you've got questions where they can't answer, they'll draw on other parts of the team. It's like a almost like an orchestra or a band where they can bring in specialists. So from yeah, from that point of view, you know, fantastic. I recommend them to anyone. Awesome. Now that you've sold, what are the plans for you moving on? You've obviously got that other business. So quick plug for ScanScoo. Yep. What's on for the for the journey for Andrew now that your focus is on the one business? So, yeah, like I alluded to earlier, I'd start another business around the time I left the corporate world, so ScanSkew. So my background in the corporate world was logistics and, of course, I saw e-commerce logistics from running Hardware Box. So a bunch of ideas came out of those experiences and um, ScanSkew provides solutions for sort of small to medium-sized companies to bring technology into their warehouses. So these are businesses which currently maybe they pick orders on bits of paper or they're using spreadsheets to manage their inventory. So it's to really bring some technology into them, whereas typically within logistics, you have to be quite a large business to really be able to afford all the technology that the Coles and Woolworths have. So it's to bridge that gap. So that's really where we're focused. 70 to 80% of businesses in the US, most of our customers are e-commerce customers. It's kind of naturally happened that way. E-commerce has, of course, boomed through COVID and even prior to COVID, particularly in the US. So a lot of our business is there, but we have a strong customer base in Australia too. And also, we want to do a bit more traveling. When you're running your business, you know, you take time off and you go away, but you find yourself online after the kids go to sleep at doing emails. So take a bit of opportunity to take the kids while they're young and it's relatively easy to travel and they want to travel with you, you know, their parents at that time. See a bit of Australia, things like that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me on The Bottom Line, Andrew. An amazing outcome and a great story. I wish you all the best in your future projects and similar success for ScanSkew. Thank you again. Appreciate it. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952. And we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna. And we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.